0: This is Pastor Justin Dean with the Sacred City Life Podcast, a podcast about following Jesus in the normal rhythms of everyday life. And today I have on the podcast a special guest with me, Pastor Joshua Nagau. Joshua, say hi. Uh, Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're going to learn a little bit more about Joshua if you don't know anything about him. Uh, Joshua, why don't you just tell us really briefly uh, what do
1: you do? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't know whether I have anything brief, but yeah, but uh, yeah um, what I do is um, I do so many things. <laughs> you know, when people ask me what do you do? it is almost like uh, you know, I don't know, but what I do is uh, we, Uh, work in the communities in Kenya, Uh, you know, just living life with the people and touching almost all their lives, you know, all corners of their lives. So that's why, I, you know, I try to say I don't know what I do because we do water wells, we do education for their children, we do uh, church, you know, church plant and missional communities and uh, you know, farming in some areas. And uh, so it is a lot of touching the lives of the people where they are.
0: So Joshua is a member here at Sacred City. He is, I would say by far, our most fruitful, uh, most influential leader at Sacred City. Um, the work that he's been doing in Kenya for how long has it been? Uh, we're doing Kenya for going 25 years this year. 25 years, and Joshua's only 30 years old, so <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, so, Joshua, the the work that he's doing in Kenya is unbelievable. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, but before we do, I want to know just a little bit, Joshua, about your story. So, obviously, you were born and raised in Kenya, mm-hmm. right? Tell us a little bit about. Your story, where you came from, and how you ended up in
1: the in the Quad Cities, even. Yeah, basically, you know, that will take a couple years to to talk about. But uh, you know, I grew. uh, I was born in eastern Kenya, in uh, a very very poor family where we, uh, you know, my mom used to work, you know, some places in farms so that I can get, uh, you know, a school uniform because that's the only thing I had. Uh, during my first 17 years, I did not have a pair of shoes. So I went to school back and forth without a pair of shoes. And uh, I, uh, during all that time, we, uh, the water, the nearest water point was almost like 30 miles away. And so for people to go, they used to go for two days to go to get a water. And uh, so I grew up there uh you know, many years ago. I'm almost fifty five this year. But uh I uh so as I grew up I you know I did not have a lot of hope, you know, that the churches there, they did not bring any hope because it was just the pastor who, grew, who became maybe very rich or just it was well. But the rest of the people who came, they came with $1 that they had worked for almost a couple of weeks and they gave and that's it. And, you know, the pastor continued uh, to uh, grow. Um. Let me stop you right there. So what he's explaining is um, Kenya would
0: consider themselves to be a Christian nation. Yes. And yet the majority of the churches in Kenya are espousing what we would call the prosperity gospel, where um, basically if you give money to the church, God will bless you. God will even God wants you to be rich. that's right. And they are, and the, the majority of the people in Kenya are very poor, and the pastors are the ones who are driving uh, range Rovers and, you know, fancy SUVs and getting rich while the people are still kind of stuck in poverty and yet um, giving, giving of, their, of, their, of their money. They're really being milked by, by the pastorate. So um, that is a false gospel. Uh, that's a gospel that's, that Jesus would repudiate and Jesus would get angry about and Jesus would flip tables over like he did in the temple uh, because it, it traps people in bondage. Uh, to the love of money, and it also uh, takes away from the poorest of people. And so it's a, it's a horrible gospel. So Joshua is, is describing something that's kind of rampant uh, throughout Kenya, and we'll get back to that later uh,
1: because eventually he starts planting
0: churches and, and wants to do something about that. But. but
1: unfortunately, that's how I grew up in that kind of situation. But as I was growing up and running to school, uh, you know, 11 miles every morning without shoes. I kind of, you know, every time I saw all these poor people as I was passing through, I, I said, I wish there was a way that, uh, you know, God can open the door for me to be able to help all these people. And it was something that I said in my heart almost every time when I saw somebody who cannot, doesn't have food, we went to school without lunch and we were Leave at three in the morning and come back all the way at the end of uh, the day, you know, like almost like eight at night. And maybe when you come, there's no food to eat, so you just sleep. We used to take a shower though, uh, uh, you know, after three months when the rains come, so there was no shower. And you know, just think about all the school, some all the people not taking showers for three months, it is smells really good, and <laughs> uh, so, um. As I grew up and uh, you know was able to pass very well in my exam in 8th grade I you know I was not about to go to high school So I went uh, to Nairobi actually I took a bus from uh almost like a, a, a 3 hours from you know uh, my village to Nairobi without shoes in the bus going to look for a job And I arrived there and it was uh it 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 really uh Later, I got a job at with a a Kenya Breweries to make beer, and uh, then I was able to, um, uh, you know, to to go to high school. I worked for a night shift for four years. So So let me pause. So
0: why couldn't you go to? You said you passed your exam in eighth grade. Why couldn't you go into high school? Uh,
1: the reason I could not go to high school, and that's what we are doing, and many people, especially at Sacred City, we have all the you know of all close to seventy uh, children who are now being sponsored. The reason we do that is because everything in Kenya for you to get education, you have to uh, you know to have money. It, it costs money, so to going to high school is very expensive. It is almost like now it's like a six hundred dollars a year which you cannot get in Kenya. So I was not able to go. Those who had money, they went to school. I, w- I topped to the class. I was number one in the class, you know, in the exam, but I was not able to go to high school. Mm. So when I started working, I worked four years, you know, uh, you know, at night, making beer all night, 6 in the morning, ran to, my, uh, to, to the, uh, where I was staying, you know, ch- took a shower, changed, and then went to, uh, to, uh, to high school for four years. Mm-hmm. So after finishing, I went to college. And uh, then that's how my life uh, started, especially as a young man. And then I joined um, the hotel industry as a waiter. So when did Jesus get a hold of your life? It was one time, you know, during that time, I joined a church called a Redeemed Gospel Church. And I, you know, eventually they, I became their, uh, national, you know, uh, evangelist. So I was in charge of, you know, all evangelism in the country in that church that has it has over two thousand churches right now in Kenya. Mm. So, um, and during that time, uh, I every end of the year I used to have a youth, uh, rally which. Uh, Sometimes we had over a thousand youth who came uh, for the end year and December 31st, you know, overnight, all night prayers. And, you know, when I was uh, midnight, we all got to our knees as we pray for the ushering of the new year. Mm. And that's where I felt that uh, the spirit of God talking to me that it was time. It was time. Now, for him to fulfill what I had desired when I was little. And it was, I, I pushed the thought away as just, you know, nothing. And I went forward and I went back to work. But I was frustrated by everything until, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the management wanted to, for me to do something that was not godly. And I refused and I, I was taught to go. So
0: I didn't really plan for the podcast to go in this direction, but uh, I think it's important for us to say right away, your story is so fascinating because you, you literally came from, from nothing, no shoes, and what God has done through you is, is really unbelievable. And to hear you describe this calling, um, you know, this burning in your heart, this desire for, for uh, helping the least of these in Kenya— And then God bringing you through a a lot of different things, and getting you through college, and getting you in the hotel industry, and and then um, making you this national director of evangelism or whatever. And then on this this night, saying, you know, now now's the time that I'm gonna I'm gonna call you. It's it's inspiring and encouraging for any of us. I think young men. Well, I'm not young anymore, but the young men and the young women that are listening, and they've got a desire. Um, to write a book. They've got a desire to reach the least of these. They've got a desire to start a ministry. They've got a desire to make an impact in the Quad Cities. They've got a desire to start a business. And they're not really sure what to do. Um, You know, I think this your story gives encouragement that if you follow the Spirit and you trust God, that He's going to get you right where He, He wants you to be.
1: Yeah, because like now when I... Immediately I stepped out and, you know, wanted now to do the will of God first my big you know question was i was looking at all the churches the way they do and the way they handle their finances the way they just you know you know they preach and and i you know i felt the lord was calling me to the streets to go to just you know start over and start with you know just not for me to be seen, but for the Lord to be seen, you know. know. So it was very hard. And then somebody asked me, you know, my bishop that time asked me, you want to go to the ministry, and you want, are you going, we can license you to continue. And, you know, but I, I said, I told him I'm going to pray about it. The reason I was wanting to do that, it is, you know that I was just to go and start doing the same thing that they were doing, and I did not feel that that the Lord was calling me that to do that. But what He was saying is, uh, Kenya at that time had stopped completely uh, registering any new churches, and you know it was He was saying, "How are you going to start a ministry?" So uh, the the nation of Kenyan
0: Kenya was not registering any new churches. Yes. Okay.
1: And so when when I um so but when I went because it was the Lord who was calling me to the ministry it was not so that I can get money it's not so that I can get rich but when I went the Lord was able to give me the opportunity uh, to read to uh, to meet the right people mm. Uh, actually I was able to meet the president of Kenya when I was that young and, uh, almost immediately he ordered for the registration of Fishers of Men Ministries. So that so that's when Fishers of Men Ministries started. Yes. That when in 19, uh, you know, uh, that was 1994, November 15 is when we got, uh, the registration, but after working for more than, uh, uh, more than, uh, 14 years in the hotel industry. Mm. And what brought you to the United States? Um, it's, that's a good story. <laughs> um, during that time, I really, I felt, I, when the Lord called me and I obeyed and I went and got the registration, I went to one of the streets. One, my house was next to where the street children used to come uh, to just to sleep under a tree. So, one morning, I had a knock on the uh, on my door, back door, and it was four Street children. And I went out, and uh, they did not have any food. And we went, sat down there, we got something to eat, and we talked. And then uh, during that, I, I started putting some of them together, and as it, it you know it and it, it became a big group. So that's how I was able to start the first church in Nairobi, in the eastern side of Nairobi, and um, and then during that time I started praying. How can I, you know, reach more people? Because I felt that I wanted to. Um, the Lord was wanting us to more. Sure, to more demonstrate the gospel, not just to go and put big loud speakers and, uh, you know, be able to, and you are preaching to people who have not eaten anything with a very loud, you know, the loudspeakers, which is more confusion.
0: Mm. Okay, so what you're saying is the Lord kind of transitioned to your ministry instead of just being a crusader who had big crusades and just preached the gospel. He was leading you to display the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel, the gracious love of God by feeding poor kids and putting a roof over poor kids' head. And uh, and so that's kind of where Fishers of Men got its start in taking care of orphans.
1: Yes, that's how we started. And uh, so as we started during that time, um, you know, it was really hard because uh, the financial, I did not have... Here I was supporting all these 1,000 uh, teenagers when they came for the end year, and I was almost sometimes the only their sponsor. I was getting good money to a, somebody who had no income at, at all, uh, you know, depending on the Lord, 100 percent, almost going back to where I started again, with nothing. And uh, so, as I still continued uh, ministering faithfully to uh, these uh, uh, poor uh, people in the slums of uh, Nairobi, um, the Lord opened a door for some missionaries to come from here. One of them from Kamench, near Clayton. And uh, the other one, there was actually, uh, I was able to host a member of the House of Representatives Uh, from Mississippi, and uh, they stayed in my house. Mm. And that gave me an exposure of the American embassy because the American embassy were sending their, you you know, their security to to guard outside my house because of the member of the house. Mm. Uh, So that way, that's how I was, you know, the Lord was able to open a door for me to uh, get connected to, uh, the family in Kamench, uh, and I was able to, um, uh, they were able to pay for my ticket to come uh, in 1999 to come to the US. So after coming, uh, I, you know, the Lord it was still opened a door for me to speak to, in, I heard, I spoke in more than uh, 60, 70 churches in a half of the states you know, all the states. I was in California, I was all over. Seattle, Washington, and you know, so I I went a lot and spoke and I got um some support to go and help the, the orphans. Now uh the second time now why I settled in the court cities uh when I came back um I had um a lady had, had met me in one of the in, um, meetings that I was speaking here in Davenport, you know, the other time when I was here and, uh, you know, the, the first trip. And um, uh, so God planned it in a way that our best friends during my coming here the second time our best friends are the ones who, you know, looked for money for me to come. Mm-hmm. And when I came, I went to stay with them. And she was visiting every day. And so that's how I was able to meet my wife. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, we we knew each other for about maybe a couple months, like three months, and we got married and we moved back to Kenya. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Well, that's a whole nother
0: story, I think. Um, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So you are working with the orphans. Uh, you have basically creating an orphanage through Fishers of Men Ministries. And fast forward many years, and I think this would have been 2008 mm-hmm. by chance. I was a youth pastor in the area, and I had started a nonprofit coffee shop. Um, and I was... It was a coffee shop. It was called Ario in Rock Island. We were buying all of our beans from Costa Rica. Uh, a, a guy that we met on a mission trip in Costa Rica, and all of our uh, profits were going back to uh, an orphanage and a mission in in uh, Costa Rica. And we had started this um, this nonprofit coffee shop. And one day, uh, you walk into this coffee shop and meet. One of my, what I had a, I had proteges at the time, so basically an intern, and uh, I remember my protege texts me or calls me and says you've got to come meet this guy right now, and I said, all right, I'll 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 come meet him, tell me what's going on, and why don't you take you you tell the story from there. So what what was going on and what happened?
1: Yeah, actually, what happened is, um, uh, my wife, you know, my wife is, you know, um, she knows when I'm frustrated you know, about something. And that morning she said, she told me when I left home, she said, can you just, can you trust the Lord in this? Can you go to your office and pour this to the Lord? And I went back to the office and I had 29 children who were there on the wall and they were there for almost a whole, for a long time, nobody, you know, without sponsors and i went in the office so let me clarify so
0: these are 29 uh, children that you had brought into the orphanage mm-hmm. but you didn't have sponsors paying for them
1: yes okay. we, you know we, we are we you know after all that time now we started the orphanage like you mm-hmm. say and then uh, now i was we look for sponsors here and then these ones nobody was you know and every year when the, I, I see the the uh, when i look at the wall those children were almost like staring at me and uh, I did not know what to do I had gotten a uh, this we had turned one back um, because they were we, we had started turning some of them to stay at home and you know I was I got a message that um uh, I think the week of the previous week that one had we had he had come we sent him back home and he died and you know, if they were there when they are with us, we can be able to take care of them, and we can take you know a quick action when they are sick. So um, I just stopped what I was doing, and I said, I I got out to my car without knowing where I I was going. And I just dropped. I, was, I had no plan where I was going. I And instead of going to the side of Davenport, I went and crossed Rock Island. And I did not know that there was any uh, coffee shop at all. Nobody had told me. I went and pulled, you know, in front of this, you know, building and looked, in, and it, it was a coffee shop. And just, I went inside and went and started, you know, um, I think I ordered for coffee, or I don't know whether I had money or not. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, Justin did not know me, so that he can buy coffee for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, as I, um, this young man, he started talking to me about what I did, and as he was talking to me, there was somebody seated next to me, and he was typing. And I did not know that he was listening to what we were saying, and immediately we finished. He sent a message, and then that's when he told me that you need to you know you need to meet Justin. And I think this might have been on a Tuesday. Yes, it was a Tuesday. On a Tuesday,
0: and then so at that time we were having our youth nights on Wednesdays. Was that right? I think. Yeah. And so that so we met. And you kind of told me the situation. Um, you got 29 kids. You know they're about to be turned away just because you don't have any money to to support them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we had a pretty large youth ministry at the time. And I thought, well, let's just let's present this vision to the youth, and let's see what happens with with uh, with the young people. And so that night, that Wednesday night. Um, I don't remember anything about it. I'm terrible. I can remember what's in all the books that I read, but I don't remember experiences
1: very well. So um, do you remember anything about it? Were you there? I don't remember. No, actually what you did is you asked me to to send you more information about it and you did not even tell me to come. Hmm. So you went and the only time that you conducted me was at the end of that night and you told me, they were all sponsored because they were all, you know, sponsored that night because it was just a Tuesday. And then you told me tomorrow is the youth, uh, you know, we meet tomorrow. Can you send me all the information? Mm. And by at the end of the, the Wednesday, all the children got sponsored. So I think
0: I don't remember. I probably. I think I started with one, probably. I, I think I sponsored one. Did I start with one? Yeah, you, know? you started with one. Yeah, so I sponsored one. My wife and I did, and then we had the other twenty-eight were sponsored through college kids, students, some students going together who couldn't afford it. Three or four of them yeah, together yeah. would sponsor one. At that time, it was like thirty dollars a month. Yes, right, and that's going to their education, clothing, food, the whole thing. Um, and so, we—I mean, it was a—it was a really a miracle what God did that He put us together. And then I, pre- I presented the need, and these young people just stepped up and said, We want to do something in Kenya. We want to, we want to bless,
1: uh, bless these young people. That was exciting for me after just being the way I was down completely. It just, it, you know, just assured me that the Lord was on the vision or on the call that He had called me to do.
0: And then from there, uh, Joshua and I, we kind of started planning and preparing. We started hanging out a little bit more, and we started talking about what would it look like to go to Kenya, for me to go to Kenya uh, to plan to start a church. Uh, we,
1: at that time, that was the next project, right? Yes, because what you did is immediately after that, you guys started now raising money. You built a church. So that when you went back on nine, you went to open the church. It was already done and ready because you went to open the doors for the uh, for the big church.
0: That's right. So we built this church, and then I remember um, Americans by and large were pretty skeptical, and we, you know, when we're told when we travel places that you know we don't trust locals and all these different things, and and we're, we don't want to get scammed and taken advantage of. And so, and I'm no different. And so when I was going to Kenya, part of my me going to Kenya was to see if Joshua was legit or not, because Joshua had all these stories and I've heard plenty of stories about, you know, certain organizations only using $5 of your $30 a month for the kids and the rest going to administration or going to lavish lifestyles or little, little kids that you're supposedly sponsoring dying. A year in the in the past, and you're still supporting them. And where's that money going? And I've heard all kinds of stories like this about nonprofits. And so, I was guarded with Joshua. And uh, I remember in, in 2009 when we when we flew into Kenya. And uh, when we get there, <laughs> I always tell this story. We get there, and and the vice president's bodyguards. Well, first off, when we pull pull into Nairobi, I'm blown away because it's so congested, and the traffic was insane my taxi driver nearly killed me several times and i it's pitch black and i get into this hotel and i'm i'm scared to death i mean and on the tv i remember turning the tv on it said like five christian missionaries were beheaded in, in northern you know northern kenya last week and i'm like oh my goodness what did i get myself into and then i wake up the next day and we come out and uh and all of a sudden there's these guys with ak47s surrounding me and these guys followed us the entire time and I come to find out that they're the uh you have a connection with the vice president or did at the time and the vice president's bodyguards uh were there guarding us and I just remember from the moment we got there uh the level of professionalism that you have the fishermen have the level of influence going through the country and seeing how you've what that you what your ministry's been able to accomplish I was I was blown away And, um, and since that trip, you know, we've been putting, uh, more and more of our money, sacred city, more of more of our influence. Uh, we've just been wanting to build you to build your ministry. So we've been wanting kind of to give you more and more money so that, uh, you could be, have more influence and and reach more people over, over in Kenya. So we built that original church when I was over there, um, did, did some preaching and stuff, but then, got over there and saw one of the remote villages in Eastern Kenya. Is that right? Yes. Um, Was walking. I remember coming in and looking down at, it was a dried, completely dried Creek bed. So it looked like a big, you know, looked like a Creek, but there was no water in it and seeing kids out in the middle of it, digging with their bare hands down and putting like a, a sheet or something down in there and then getting buckets of water out of this, dried up creek bed that the water was just horrific looking dark brown water and putting it on their heads or putting it on their uh, mules or whatever mm-hmm. and and carrying it miles
1: right back mm-hmm. back to their home yeah
0: and they had no clean water and so i think i asked you you know what is the greatest need in this area actually
1: you asked the people, okay. you know you, you know when you are opening the church you asked the congregation What is the other greatest need for this area, and they all shouted water.
0: Yeah.
1: So we came back, and uh, I think we
0: raised the money for that. We had to do that a couple different times. Other churches helped out, Um, and and that's I mean that's where we kind of really got you know partnered together to start. Drilling well, I mean. So now, so that so that's going on. So at this point, you had how many churches over there?
1: Uh, that time I, um, that time we had, I think, as We had, we had, five. Five churches. That was the fifth church. Yeah.
0: Was that the first well, or did you have had you drilled wells before?
1: That was that was the first one. That was the first well. Yeah. So at this time.
0: Two thousand nine. You had five churches. You we were about to drill a well. You had the orphanage, and the orphanage and the school. Uh, and how many students did the orphanage and school have in two thousand nine? Do you remember?
1: I think that time we had, we had I think of either forty nine or fifty one. Okay. There was still you know not a lot because after you. Uh, the youth sponsored all the twenty nine, the ones with that I had sent back home. We brought them in, and you know, you guys continued, you know, supporting and telling other people to support, so they were all able to be sponsored. So I think that time we had reached like forty nine. Mm.
0: Um. And then, I felt called, uh, by God to, to plant Sacred City. And so we moved away for a year and a half uh, to get some more training, uh, do some seminary work, get uh, with the x 39 Nine Network and Cormdale Deo and, and Core Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And then we came back, and this I'm terrible at this stuff. We came back in 2011, I think, and uh, planted Sacred City. And it wasn't long after that, I think, where uh, we partnered up again. And we started talking. I think you started coming to the church. Am I right in my yes, timeline? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, and at, by this time, I had had quite a transition in my theology, in my ecclesiology. That means uh, the way the church is set up, the structure of the church. Um, I came to see that from the New Testament that the church is meant to be a community that's on mission together, and so we we felt like the the way to structure the church was through these smaller groups called missional communities. And um, I invited you. In, did I invite you into my missional community? I'm, I don't even know. I, my memory so no, bad. First,
1: so. you invited me to, uh, you go and gave me time uh, to, to speak at the church, uh, oh, to, okay. to present. Mm-hmm. And that's where most of the people, you know, because, uh, you know, the thing is there are so many people in this country who have been lied on and they really, they have been uh, taught about children like the way you say it first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, every t- time, even myself, when I go and I speak in any place, people want to know how do you spend your money? Yeah, How is it spent? So, you know, when you came and taught the people you know the you know the truth about fishers or many ministries and the way you have you know worked with you know with you know partnered with us and you know seen us how we work. People jumped on right away, and uh, and through that too, I think either we had or we had, we 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 were looking for which mission or community to join, and then that's when you also invited me to come and with my family to the mission or community. Mm. And so we—I don't remember
0: in the early days. I really don't ever keep track of this. You're the only one who knows this. You tell me all this. But so Sacred City uh, adopted or started sponsoring some more children. Uh, I think my wife and I—I can't remember how long. Actually, it wasn't too long after the beginning. I think we've been sponsoring
1: three children. You added almost immediately after you. you sponsored one by the time. I think when you went to Kenya Mm. is when you added the other three, a two. Mm -hmm. And since then you have been always sponsoring three children. And then, um, and so we are a church
0: planting church at sacred city as part of Acts 29 network. We commit to spending 10% of our budget to church planting. And, uh, after meeting you and being in a relationship with you and being to Kenya, uh, I have a desire not only to plant churches in the Quad Cities, not only in the Midwest, not only in the United States, but also abroad. And so we thought, what can we do uh, with Kenya and how can we do this? And we sat down and we, we we talked about some of these things. And and so since then, I don't even know how long that was, a couple years ago, three years ago. Uh, I think we, we give 3% now. 3% of our budget goes to, to Kenya, to plant churches in Kenya. And then we're using the ever other... Uh, basically, seven percent for, for church planting over here. Um, but one of our issues—not issues, but concerns—was um, Fishers of Men. You had planted churches; you had five or seven or something by this time. Um, but they were kind of set up in the way that um, I don't know—they would be traditional for us in America, but they weren't—they weren't really Kenyan. They—they they were the one pastor. And then all the people, right? And it was kind of like um, like the crusade, like a mini crusade mm-hmm. type of type of church, right? Where everybody yeah. came to hear this, the one guy. Yeah. And it was a couple years ago where you started saying, I think I want to take this missional community thing that's going on here in the Quad Cities, I want to take this back to Kenya. Or maybe it was three years ago, something like that. Yeah. Right? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, you know, um, th- I actually it started one time when one of um, uh, it started when we came to Sacred City, and we started seeing, and you know that we were um, we were community based. We were preaching to the communities. Yes, we were very good in reaching them. But, but the gospel part of it, it was not, you know, we were feeding the people, we were loving them, and that one we were trying to accomplish. But as I came, we came to sacred city. I started seeing that. Um. Uh, first is, um, and actually just before then, a, a pastor from uh, you know Acts twenty nine. TJ Dreyer mm-hmm. came to Kenya. And we, you know, he he went all around, you know, all our churches and all that. And at the se- at the end, he was kind of um he, he he was tired. And he he said, This is too uh tiring. He said, you know, you guys when you start being gospel centered, he said, that's this is where, you know, and somebody saying that. I thought, mm, yeah, but we and gospel say we are preaching the gospel, mm. so we did not know. I did not know what you know it meant. But as I continued being you know um, here at Sacred City and being you know part of a missional community and also seeing how the church operated, I started looking and seeing now the difference of the pastor who is like a boss up there who just does everything. Everybody has to go to them and all the leaders that they have, they have to, almost, it is like you cannot reach God before you pass through the pastor because he is right here uh, to the top. And I started looking at the way sacred city operates. And I saw freedom. I saw that, Everybody has been called to preach the gospel. It is just, you know, when you have leaders, you, they are not leaders just to come to you. Yes, you are the pastor to lead, uh, to you know, give directions on what the Lord you know, wants to be done, but they are also yeah. called and they need to have freedom to be able to, uh, you know, to do what the Lord is calling them to do. So Ephesians 4 says that pastors are called
0: to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That that's my job as a pastor. My job isn't to do the ministry. Excuse me, my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And I remember just small things as somebody in a mission community had a need and somebody would step up and meet that need. We'd make meals for one another when we have children or when we get sick. And I remember you just going, wow, you didn't have to do that. And I'm like, no, I didn't have to do anything. They mm-hmm. have they they have the Holy Spirit, and they they they're ministers. They're equipped to do that. And then as we continue to multiply missional communities in Sacred City, you know, God was blessing Sacred City, and the gospel was moving and growing like it does in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter one, in the Quad Cities. It wasn't just in my missional community. It wasn't like just Justin's leadership causes this stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. It was happening in other missional communities, and other men and women were raising up and being leaders. Mm-hmm. And I remember you going, "This is something we we need to do." This like it was a it was like a completely different paradigm, yeah, of of a way to do ministry, where the pastor doesn't have to do all the work. Yeah, um, and uh, and in Kenya, that's what. You know, TJ was seeing part 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 of it was um, the pastors doing all the work. Make sure you're leaning up in, into that. You're leaning a little too far away from it. So, um, and so, two years ago, you three years ago, something like that. You want to start making this transition um, to becoming more missional, a missional church, a gospel-centered church planting church in in Kenya while doing all the other stuff. And uh, I remember, so you started transitioning everything to missional community-based. And then I got to come over in 2016, two mm. years ago, right? Yes. Taught through the story of God through all the missional communities and, or in, in uh, Eastern Kenya and then Western Kenya. And saw the people just, they came alive. Yeah. They just ate it up. And the story of God is... Uh, it's supposed to be a nine-week lesson uh, through the entire Bible in a narrative form where you're telling stories and they tell them back to you. And many of these folks, um, especially in eastern Kenya, uh, they they can't read. And so they can't read the Bible. And they're oral learners. They learn through telling stories. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that anybody had sat down with them and told the story of God to them. And they, I mean, so we did it in two days. Was that... Yeah, two days. Nine-week lessons in two days. I think I was teaching just about eight hours a day. Um, And it it was awesome. I mean, it was just thrilling to do it. It
1: was thrilling to see people go... Sitting at the end of their seats, almost like wanting to jump.
0: Yeah. For eight hours straight, two days in a row, walked miles to get there. And I remember them just they're jaw-dropping when they heard the story of God and the freedom that the gospel brings and how they're called to be in ministry. And oh yeah, I,
1: what do you think? When, when you taught them to, to retell the story, that's where you did not have to worry about it because they taught exactly, you know, yeah. because they're used to doing that. That's what we did when we were growing up. Telling stories, yeah. They'd be meeting outside, you know, at a fireplace outside, and to tell stories. Sometimes we cooked some stories. So this is this now for them to know Jesus, you know, God in a story-formed way. It remained the world because they went to tell this, the same stories back home. Now, yeah, I remember one lady saying, her, her dad
0: was not a Christian, and she was taking care of him, and she didn't know how to, you know, to share her faith with them. She didn't know what to do to be even to be a Christian around him. And now after hearing the stories, she's like, I'm great at telling stories. I tell stories all the time. And now I know how to share the gospel with my dad. The dad
1: came to church. Did he come to church? Yeah, yeah. She went, taught the story to her dad, and the dad is now at Kimondo where the children are. Yeah. That's where he comes to church now.
0: So, and I, I mean, there was a ton of stories when I was over there about that. And, um, at that time, I think we had seven churches. We had, now how many wells do you we, have over there? We have ten churches. We have fifteen water wells. Now these water wells, guys. Um, this is a life changing thing. Every time they drill a well, it cha- it literally changes um, a whole region. They can now obviously get water for themselves. They don't have to walk to the to the creek or wherever they're getting it. They can now raise crops because they can create irrigation. They can now have more animals because they can take care of their animals. Um, This literally changes. Grow
1: mango trees.
0: Yeah. So now we've got these mango, (laughs) these hybrid mango trees. How many mango trees do
1: we have? We, you know, actually, it it started with, um, you know, we planted a few, and uh, uh, 2000 December 2016. After Cory Johnson went went to Kenya, mm-hmm. that instead of his people giving, you know, gifts for Christmas, they said they are going to plant mango trees. So they were able to raise five thousand dollars, and now we have close to a thousand mango trees now. And these mango trees, uh, they cost how much? It's almost like $3 a piece. Okay, you know, so they, they cost $3? $1 to buy with a mango tree. Okay. And then planting, digging the all the three mm. by three, you know, a pit to, uh, to, to plant it, and all the fertilizers, it, was, it cost like $3.
0: So it costs about $3. It, it, these things are hybrid. They take minimal amounts of water. And then in how long,
1: what do they produce and in how long? It, like a four and a half or to five years, they start you know producing completely. This year, when we go in August, we are going to eat mangoes mm-hmm. because they are going to be there. But not all the way fully. But uh, in about a year, we are going to start getting you know full yield, which is like uh there's a company in that is saying they will be buying the mangoes. And if we have a thousand, that's a hundred thousand dollars for the community. So it's a
0: dollars per tree.
1: Yes. So
0: I want you to think about that that investment three dollar investment into a into a a region of Kenya that has no export. They have no goods. They do, they can't farm. They can't do anything else there. Uh, they literally have nowhere to get a job. They have nowhere to make money. Uh, a few goat farmers, very few of them, uh, but now we can plant these mango trees. Three dollars investment, five years down the road, they're going to be bringing a hundred dollars per per tree yield. Yeah, so it can literally employ
1: nearly a whole village. And one tree that. can stay, for, uh, can live for more than twenty years. One tree. one tree.
0: That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so that's almost like you can educate a child all the way to going to college with one tree. Mm.
0: Okay, so we have now. Let me update us. We've got ten churches. Um, we have 10 water wells. Yeah. We have no, 15 water wells. 15 water wells. We have almost 1,000
1: mango trees. Yes. What else? Uh, we have, uh, you know, um, we have uh, two schools. Two schools. Uh, one as in 2003 is when we started the one in Kimondo. And now the children that we started with, they are they graduated in high school, then college. We have several doctors, three doctors. We have engineers. We have eight school teachers. Actually, by that came through your school. Yes, three doctors. Yeah, you know. So next year we are going. uh, We have uh, uh, three police officers, and next year we are going to have. Uh, all these teachers graduating they are, they are coming all to teach at you know our school mm-hmm. where they went in first in grade yeah. and so we are not going to we are going to have our children there so we and then so we have 56 who are graduating now in in, in high school mm-hmm. and then we have 78 right now in in, in, in high school and uh, over 220 uh, 220 children in our regular school. Two hundred and twenty students in the school being supported by folks over here. Yes, and you have medical clinic. Yeah, we have two medical clinics. We have one in where the children are. We have a medical clinic, and then we have one in Mombasa near uh, the the Indian Ocean. And in Mombasa, that, that's one. Of, is that where one of your newest church plants? Yeah, that's one of the, our newest church plants. We did the water uh, water well first. And then we did a you know a medical a clinic, and then during that time is when the Muslims opened, you know their their you know their hearts to us. And then gave us kind of we can preach anywhere anytime without anybody being you know uh you know when even Muslims comes to the to your church or gives their life to to the Lord then their, their families just they just don't will not talk to them anymore, and they can even be killed. But this place, we have been given a green light that we can do anything, uh, you know, preach anywhere, and when they come there, nobody follows them.
0: I remember seeing a picture of the imam. Did, he was, like, giving you a plot of land and it, saying, you the Christians, because we've seen your love, because you bring in the water well and you bring in the medical clinic here, we're gonna give you this land and, and you can have a church here. Yeah, he
1: came there and he said, young man, it was we had more than a thousand people who were there and he he looked and you know he came and he came forward and people thought that he was bringing a problem, and he came and said, young man, we have seen you you know you, you, the God that you are preaching. Is a God of love. You have seen that you love us, you love our people, and you want, you know, you you, you have reached our hearts. Mm. And he said, We want to give you land. And he went, he was holding the, you know, the measure measure himself so that he can measure the land that you know, for us to build a church. He said, We will give you land to build a church mm. so that you can tell people about your God.
0: That's amazing. I mean, we want to be reaching reaching Muslims, and I'm so so excited that that you're doing that in Kenya. How specifically? So we're 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 kind of funding some of this. We're we're giving three percent of our budget uh, to plant churches in Kenya. How are you using that money? What's it going for? And, and explain a little bit of that to yeah, us. Yeah.
1: So for the last uh, I think three years, since uh, you know uh, Sacred City started giving uh uh their three percent uh towards uh church plan and then the sacred city Molin also immediately that was almost the one of their first things to follow, you know, immediately they you know the church started, you know, uh they planted the church also started giving their three percent. We are uh, kind of um because of the way it was in Kenya the gospel is uh, there's what is called planting a seed, and uh, you know, most, and most of the preachers, that's what they do. They it, some of them are even on TV. You know, they preach. They are TV preachers, and uh, they are very famous. But they they tell you even to how much, how much to uh, to plant the seed. So that God can you know can yeah. bless you. So they say if you give me a hundred dollars, yeah. you'll get healed. Yeah, you get you know. Actually, we are saying you know there is one who was saying if you have cancer, they they put how much you are going you are supposed to mm. give for cancer, yeah. so that you can be healed, and uh, you know so with all that and my past seeing where I came from, but I kind of went to more to the missions. But still, I was still preaching uh, the same gospel that I, where I came from. Mm. So that transition, my prayer was, how can I do something different that is more gospel centered? I learned from you know here from Sacred City some of the things that were being done, and uh, you know at, at our office here, Ben is very open to show me anything that if, if there um, the, are the things that I can use and all that. So the the church almost like equipped me and said, this is what we are using. And if they made it available. So I think what you're describing is uh, you you've re-
0: kind of pushed away from the prosperity gospel and you kind of moved towards, and I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but more of a social gospel, which is, the gospel sends us out on mission and we're going to take care of these orphanages. We're going to start. And so you kind of, for the last maybe nine years or so, really focused on drilling wells, getting the, taking care of the orphans, Mm -hmm. helping those in poverty, get out of poverty. You even do micro loans and you do things like this, getting, getting people um, out of poverty and, 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 you know, that's what what you've been focused on. But then the Lord began to put it on your heart to, begin to, to reshape and re-equip the churches. And so instead of letting the missional part of your organization, uh, the nonprofit side, the, you know, the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever, you know, the orphans and all or the orphanages and all that lead your organization. You started saying, well, how can the church lead the organization? How can we get the churches to, you um, up to speed or something or something along those lines. More gospel centered is what you said.
1: Yes, voice. you know the thing is, uh, you know, um, yeah, like you said, I will, you, you know, we were doing a lot of great things, but minus, you know, not focusing too much. One of the things that I found out is even if you have the orphans, we did these orphans, we helped them all the way they become teenagers without the gospel. Then go back to the world and they really, you know, you won't be ashamed even to meet them on the streets. And, uh, you know, so we found that anything that you do, minus the gospel, the gospel should be the first thing. The church plan and, you know, the, you know, equipping the people. You equip the saints and then they will do a lot of other things that they're supposed to do. Mm. Uh, so that's why we... Kind of went back. We put a reverse on what we were doing and went and like gone back to where we left the you know the the way or where the foundation where we did not put a, you know a strong foundation and we were able now to to start starting with equipping them. We are equipping those even the children where they are. Like now, you know, we as you know we have started the you know the uh, um you know, God's story for children. Mm-hmm. And we are teaching that in all our uh, first, second, and third grade children in our school. Because Kenya is, you know, uh, you know Christian religious education is compulsory to all the kids. Mm-hmm. So we are trying, you know, we are doing that. So we have, uh, you know, it is humbling to see the way uh, you know, in Kenya, a pastor is is almost like very, they come to church, you have to know that the pastor is there. But we kind of went down a little bit so that we can be able to be almost like the same level with all the other leaders so that we can be able to uh, show the gospel, and, you know, preach the, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has love. Jesus walked and ate and did everything with his disciples. So
0: one of the things I've seen you do is with, with the missional communities uh, that you started over there, people be, people used to think doing ministry was only the pastor's job, and, yeah. and I can't preach, so I don't know how to do it. And, but then people, women were like, but I can cook dinner, and I know how to cook dinner. I know how to tell stories, and, they, and we go to the, the market, and so they learned how to share the gospel in a way that was inviting to people, and they learned how to cook dinner and bring food to people and how to minister to one another in that way. And so there was this the, the scripture or the theology behind it, It's called the priesthood of all believers, that everyone has a spiritual gift. Everyone can make disciples. It's not just the pastor's job. And so I see, saw you, you know, focusing on educating the pastors, focusing on training the pap- pastors. Um, we're we're paying salaries. We've retired some pastors and still paying their salaries. Some of the old guys. And and then what really encouraged me was we went out to eat on Sunday and you were telling me. So basically, you've just t- taken our membership process from Sacred City, and you've just basically translated it and implemented it uh, in Kenya. You've taken our deacon process and implemented over there, didn't you? How many deacons did you just?
1: You know, the thing is, uh, you know, uh, if you like, I'm a member of the sacred city. And it doesn't matter how much people pride is the one that people say that I cannot be under another pastor because I'm, this is the minute, you know, I, you know, I planted 10 churches and all that. You start having that kind of pride that you cannot. And then you start studying your own things. You implementing, you know, the teachings. Then that's where you find people coming with their own uh, teachings that are when you look at their doctrine, it's from man. It's not from God. It's not from a humble kind of a heart. So that's why this is where the Lord has called me right now with my family. And we love sacred city. We feel that this is this was a timing for the Lord to be able to uh, for us to be able for our eyes to be, you know, just to, for us to be equipped in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so instead of us going and starting to look for another doctrine or putting some things together, which will take a lot of time, that's why I've, I looked at the deacon uh, you know, you know, like the missional communities. We went and started missional communities all over. All our churches are now operating under the missional community uh, concept, and it is really working. They love each other. Many things the pastor is told or knows when something has already been done, a need when it comes, it doesn't, because I've seen it, you know, the way it works here. I'm trying to, you know, that's the way, the same thing. When somebody, as a baby, they take off just like, like the way we do here. And then last year... I thought about now we have done all this. We have, you know, a missional community working very, very good. We have people when they go to the market to sell their cows, they have, you know, they meet traders. And instead of them just talking to them, they have stories. And what they they have done, they have known how to tell gospel-centered stories. And that's how they are reaching other people and telling them about Jesus, just as they sell their own things in the market now last year with thought, i thought now i saw the way the deacon uh, you know you know and deacon board led church the way it frees the pastor to be able to prepare and to equip them the pastor continues to equip the church and then the deacons work do the work of you know the, meeting the needs outside there and you know planning and everything so we went I went back and, uh, you know, last year we were preparing them. And in January when I went, we installed 90 deacons. 90? Yes, 90 deacons. So we have an, uh, each church, all the 10 churches, each one has nine deacons. And we, so we have a deacon of, uh, you know, administration, just like here. We have, you know, deacons for mission or communities. You know each, each, you know each church has a deacon for missional communities and which is now when they are meeting like now they have all gone all the deacons they have gone to meet to you know uh, this uh, Saturday there will be a meeting where now they are being told I've sent them a guidance on each deacon what they are supposed to be doing so we I, I which this makes me like I have to com- communicate with them, put a lot of things together. And then we, we started membership. All these deacons, we started with them first to be members because nobody is a member. It was a member in Kenya. So the membership class, just like when, actually we started at the same time when the, the membership was going on here. And uh, you know, we went for, uh, you know, uh, for three weeks. And uh, three classes and they were able to go through all that. They met, the you know, the pastor and were able to go through everything. And then now we received our new members. Mm. And uh, you know, uh, like uh, two weeks ago. So it is so good when on Sunday, we came to church and, you know, new members were being received. And we had just received our first uh, group of, you know, the, the, the first members. That was so good to see that. That's awesome. It's and, so good. But they are learning the same, the covenant, they signed the same covenant like what we have here. It's just that it gives me more work that I have to trust. <laughs> so you started with...
0: So your first members were the deacons? You had the deacons go through the process first?
1: Yes, the pastors first. Oh, the
0: pastors first. The pastors, the first pastors
1: I, you know, I had to have them condense something for them, and they, they were able to pass through theirs, you know, one whole day. Uh-huh. And, you know, they went through everything. And they we so that uh, the pastors, I signed with them their uh their covenant and then they did the, 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 the uh, their deacons, and then the deacons are now, they are putting now for the whole church so that they can divide, because like Pastor Kennedy's three years ago, before we started the missional communities, Pastor Kennedy and Miley Saba had about 50 to 60 people. Now they have passed the 220
0: whoa did you hear that so when we went over uh and started missional communities uh pastor kennedy how big was this church about 55 about 55
1: people and now two years later what is it about 220 about 220 and there have there, there been no shouting out there with the loudspeakers no you know crusade there's let no... me tell a
0: story i gotta tell a story so we're <laughs> in kenya and Joshua trying to bring this kind of new. It's not new. It's biblical Christianity, biblical ecclesiology. Um, and part of a pastor is treated like a king in one sense. And he's, it's hot in Kenya, and uh, Pastor Kennedy shows up. We're having a meeting on a Saturday. Pastor Kennedy shows up. If he's watching this, I don't. I don't mean to make fun of you, Pastor <laughs> Kennedy. I love you. But he so he shows up in a in a sharp looking navy blue suit. I mean, this guy looked sharp, and uh, Joshua says, "And we in t-shirts." And we're all in t-shirts. And Joshua says, "What are you doing? No, you can't wear that. Go home and change." <laughs> and he's like, "What?" And he's like, "Go home and change. Put blue jeans on. We don't need you. We don't need you to like like a peacock up front, uh, showing everybody how important you are by your fancy clothes." And and Pastor Kennedy went home, changed, and it was kind of one of those moments where like, no, really, things are changing. This is going to be different. This is about real life ministry. The pastor is just one of one of the members. He's leading all of us, but he's not, he's not a fancy fancy pants showboat mm-hmm. and, uh, and that and you know what it's a testament, testament to his character. He went home, changed, came back, translated for us. Uh, but it's also a testament to just the fact that it, this style of ministry, if you want to call it that works. Mm-hmm. I mean they've
1: tripled in two years. Yeah, you cannot be the boss and you know, you know, dressing fancy all the time and then you go and find somebody who is doing construction. How are you going when you have a tie and all that? you'll be dirty. That's why you will not touch anything that, you know, you, so you have your own class. That's what I'm telling them. We, we need all to be the same class. We need to be there. And, uh, you know, if it's dressing, let's dress like the others. Mm. And, uh, you know, just so that we don't have to separate ourselves.
0: So the churches are growing over there. Missional communities are multiplied, multiplying. Um, God's doing a great work. Now, this is, and, and Sacred City, we are financing a good portion of this, and we've got a lot of How many kids do we have adopted right
1: now or sponsored? Almost 70. Almost 70. Okay, close to 70. And yeah. if
0: you're wanting to sponsor a child, you, we'll put that the link to that, uh, Fishers of Men Ministries. You can find it on Facebook. and find it on fishersmen.org or fomministries.org. Yes, you
1: know, fomministries.org, yeah. Uh, we encourage you to sponsor a child um we have that five children because every year we we had children were sponsored till we had eight but every year we have to add new children when uh, the top class graduate and go to high school so we have like that eight children right now who need sponsors so do that let's take care of some of those
0: um the money that we're sending you is going towards church planting training church planters uh paying some of the pastors uh what else are we doing with that
1: yeah, like more we are, because of the change that is happening, the training is almost like the big. Because, like, now as we speak, there are several deacons from Eastern Kenya who are traveling to uh, to Ketale. And we're paying for their travel? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's where we put that. So, we, you know, and then they will be there the whole week. You know, just getting, because Pastor Kennedy's church has transformed more. They have been more, they have learned more about the missional communities. They are going to attend a missional community tomorrow, the first one, and another one on Thursday, because they have one that meets on Wednesday, and Pastor Kennedy, is not the leader of the missional community. He goes just like a member uh, hey. in the missional community, and uh, so is meets tomorrow. And then Thursday there's another one, and then they will wait for Saturday to see how things, you know, you know, like go through the teachings, and then Sunday they will be in the worship to see the new way. One of the things that we add in Kenya, the pastors repeat and repeat the message. So you find that people came, there's no food and all that. Then they stay till three in the afternoon. So we add to have, uh, you know to to. Uh, to say that, no, this is the time. And you don't even have to push. The gospel will push the people to come on time. Immediately, you start telling them the truth, and they see that it is, you know, that's the truth, and they um, then grab the gospel. They are changed, and, and they, so they are waking up. They will put the priority to coming to church. They will come on time, and I told them that by 12.30, all the churches to be done. They used to m- make announcements for thirty minutes, thirty whole minutes, just announcements. Now we have the deacon of administration who does all the all that. So he and so he doesn't have to take you know all that time, mm-hmm. and then immediately, uh, and actually, the immediately he finishes, he tells people to stand for the reading of the word, hmm. <laughs> and then immediately the pastor comes in. And that's, you know, that's how we are doing right yeah. now. in all the churches and it is, the church is better and people are, you know, feeling more relieved, almost them burdened that they had to listen to one person uh, for three, four hours. Now they, some of them sleep in the church, but uh, now they are able to, uh, you know, come, enjoy, and be able to be blessed. And then go, and I've been told even after we finish, now it is making people to be more, uh, you know, interactive. They, they start talking. You see groups here and there because they,
0: they've got community. Yeah,
1: they've got community and they can be able to, uh, to, to love each other. So we are going to continue
0: giving our 3% for church planting. We're going to continue supporting kids uh, financially, uh, get, getting them an education. But one of the areas that we haven't done yet is taking members of Sacred City on a short-term mission to actually get over there on the ground in Kenya, get their hands dirty to see the work for them, themselves um, because it, it is expensive to do that, but it really does it can change your life. you know it definitely changed mine you know And so what what can we do to open up a short-term missions trip to Kenya?
1: Yeah, I think that's what i am been really, and that's what Corey has been asking me all the time, that can I take just my people, the people who are from the church, because they come, they discuss, and they have all seen, you know, the same kind of, you know, transformation, and they come here transformed. People think that when you are an American, you are going there to change people, but you go there and you are changed more than even mm. changing the people. So, um... I think what uh, you know, I feel that can happen is if Sacred City can plan a mission trip like um, in January when it is 107 degrees, uh, like in January, and then we go just with the group from Sacred City uh, to be able to go and just for them to go to be involved and to go to work, you know, to help people, you know, if there are people those when you are teaching, you know, if we are and then we can have all those uh like all the deacons together, all the leadership together. And we have like but this you know we have teachings but at the same time the farm that we have the constructions that we have we can go with the doctors construct construction contractors who are here and then do construction they can have a job to do we can paint things we have a lot of work to do just for people to go and work just like then you know the way that people do and I think when they come back here it will be more a Something that we can all because, like, at the church, you are the only one who, when you talk about Kenya, you are the one who knows about Kenya. Mm -hmm. So, if we can have more people, then it will be easier for you know the way. The you know the work has changed because of what the Lord is doing here. Mm-hmm. So I think that will be a great thing for a group to go. So it looks like and I'm, and the people who can be able to uh to, to take pictures, good pictures, and all yeah. that. Thank God for mission for that. So it looks like I'll be going back in
0: 2019, right? January 2019. Yes.
1: yes. Are we planning this short-term
0: missions for 2020? Is that what we're thinking? Are we going to think 2019 or what?
1: Uh, it can work either way you know because um i've not it's good we have talked about it before i have just one friend in clinton who is going on that and he's a friend for a long long time and uh, so that one cannot affect a group going because those are just uh so i it can either work in january or it can work in uh uh you know twenty twenty in January. Okay. Because the reason I'm saying uh in January January is my time to equip the church. And i do you know i like putting that i take more a general mission and group in august and um you know i've planned that way that january is when a time now to plan equip the church and uh, you know talk to the leadership and be able to uh so that's where i would love for you to go and because uh as i talk about mission or communities you can go and go way farther because that's what you are doing. If we talk about a deacon board, you can go and give a lot of, you know, insight about sure. how a leader should, you know. And then, uh, you know, and the, the other people, if there's, uh, there are doctors who are there, if they want to set a, a small, uh, a, you know, a medical camp there as we do other things, that will be fine too. Okay. So we can go there as a church and we go just to... Uh, you know, to to work as a team.
0: All right, Sacred City, you know, we are about the gospel, community, and mission, and uh, we are so focused on the Quad Cities and making disciples, planting churches, and renewing our city that we don't spend enough time talking about the work that we've been doing around the world, the work that Josh was doing, um, and Sacred City, and, and just the gospel itself is influencing a nation, and we're really thrilled. So many kids taken care of, so many people uh, their needs being met through the wells, uh, the uh, the micro loans and the mango trees and the church planting that God is doing a good work in Kenya and we're thrilled to be a part of it and now in a year or two if you want to go on a short-term missions and you want to put your feet on the ground, uh, we're going to make that available to you so we are you'll be hearing more about that in the future and As of now, Joshua and I, we are both long-winded folks, and so it's been an hour and 15 minutes. We probably need to close this thing down. We've got missional community tonight. I'm talking through the story of God, so I've got another plenty of an hour or two to be talking tonight. So uh, we thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Do us a huge favor. Uh, Give us a like on Facebook. Give us a like on uh, or rate us. Give us some stars on uh, the podcast on iTunes. Share the podcast email it to your friends, I let people know, a child. sponsor a child for Fishers of Men, Ministries.org. that's right, um, you're, you really do change a life when you do that, so it's 30 bucks a month, less, it's probably half your cable bill, and it's providing food, it's providing uh, uniforms, it's providing education for our child, and it can literally change their life, Joshua here is testimony to that, uh, 17 years of his life, no shoes, and now he's he's got some fancy shoes on today and the Lord's blessed him greatly, and he's, a, he's been doing a great work for God and a fantastic leader. So thank you guys for your time. We love you, and I'll see you soon. God bless.